0: What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts Podcast, and I'm your host, the one James here with our amazing co-host, Airball. Hey, guys. And Michael Gritz. What it do. (laughs) We're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week. But first, let me talk to you about the sponsor of the podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store, sealed products, singles, anything you can ever need in Magic the Gathering. They have it. Go save yourself some hard-earned money and go to CoolStuffInc.com today. And I have something else to talk about about CoolStuffInc.com. I just got a Goblin Shaman token in my image. Me, personally. You can get the 1-Jame token, a 2-2 Goblin Shaman that when it attacks, you can make a treasure token if you pre-order anything at CoolStuffInc.com from March of the Machine. So, go ahead and get your 1-Jame Goblin Shaman token. Let's go ahead and go to the upkeep. It's our jargon of today. It is crack. Crack as in, there's a few different things to talk about crack in Magic the Gathering. Number one is to open like a booster pack. Like you ever heard someone say crack a pack? You're like, wait, why do they say crack? I don't know. I mean, do you guys actually know why they say crack a pack? I oh, don't Just imagine
1: it's patriarchy, masculinity, crack open a beer, you crack a pack. I don't uh, know. That's,
0: probably that. that's probably something to do with it, right?
2: Yeah, I was going to talk about the sound of opening the pack, but you know what? Yeah, sure, uh, we'll, we'll
1: go with
0: that. I like that more. Uh, something else is to sacrifice something for an effect. Most often, said of fetch lands or artifacts, like you crack a bobble. I've heard like a mistress bobble mm. in, in in modern. I also heard like crack a fetch in modern as well. Uh, not too much cracking in standard, but yeah, I, mean, I guess you can crack like a fabled passage or something when that wasn't standard. But uh, it also could mean to attack, like you crack them for five. And it's also used as the crack back, which you've probably heard most often used to attack a counterattack following an attack with the most or all of a player's creatures. The damage one would receive on the crack back, quote unquote, is taken into account when deciding whether to attack or not. So you'll see a lot of people talking about the crack back. When they are like, hmm, am I dead on the crackback if I attack here? And that's what they're using in that context. Um, any other context of, of crack that you can that you can think of, maybe in, in magic? Maybe, maybe well, Michael?
1: Yeah. Uh as someone uh who knows a bit about magic, there's a whole bit, but we're not doing that bit. I don't want to get fired. Uh anyway. You're not gonna get fired. Uh I'm gonna fire Instead you. of the transition that I was gonna do earlier, I'm just gonna say, hey, there don't you know, there's, there's people in Magic the Gathering who went to tournaments who took pictures of them doing the, the, the Papa Bless, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> stance in front of people's butt cracks at a Magic tournament. Don't do that. You'll get banned. That person is, I'm pretty sure, banned or suspended or something. I don't know. But anyway, don't do that at Magic tournaments. And just wear a belt. That's the PSA. Yeah, that, that's the, the yeah. Uh, week.
0: The secret fourth definition of crack is wear a belt, guys. Uh, and gals. <laughs> Uh, here we go here we go we're on to the main phase today we're gonna follow up our last episode of the standard metagame part one with you guessed it, standard metagame part two, super intuitive, I know. But we went over the, um, the 20, top 24 decks rather uh, that we did not include the top five. So uh, we went to the top 24. We really, really dug a deep dive into the top 10, 9, 8, 7, and 6. And we're going to do a deep dive into 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1 today. And um, hopefully you get a lot of value out of this and see what decks are actually doing well in standard. So let's go ahead and talk about number Five, Mono Red Aggro. Can you believe it? Making a run back in standard. I'll go over the deck list, and you can see it on YouTube if you want to see it for yourself. And I'll go over every card here if you're not watching on YouTube. The creatures are three Felden Ronum Excavator, four Monastery Swisspear, four Bloodthirsty Adversary, two Itsushi Blazing Sky in the main deck, four Jaya Fiery Negotiator in the the main deck. Holy moly, 4 Jayas, 4 Reckless Impulse, 4 Kumano Faces Kakazan, 1 Rending Flame, 4 Play with Fire, 2 Abrades, and 4 Lightning Strikes. The lands are 19 mountains, 1 Zan, and 4 Mishra's Foundry. Sideboard consisting of 3 Rending Flame, 2, you gotta kill those, Shieldreds, 2 Reckoner Bankbuster, 1 Elder Dragon War, 1 Flame blast Bolt, 3 Obliterating Bolt, 2 Chandra dress to Kill, 1 more Abrade, and 2 copies of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. This is not a list that you, that you will see in best of one at all with four Jaya's um, and two Asushi's main deck, but in best of three, you do have to take into consideration all of the removal spells that are in the black based mid range decks. So, we see two Asushi's and four Jaya's in the main deck, and even a couple of copies of a Braid in the main deck as well that is a removal spell, damage spell, that doesn't go face. So, I'll start with you, Michael, actually. Um, so you like playing the red based decks, particularly in the Rakdos variety. What can you tell us about this um, this mono-red deck? There's an aggregate mono-red deck from decks that have top tournaments coming in at number five.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one that you know I'm looking at right now is Sandy Dogs, and Sandy Dogs red a red aficionado more so than me. But um, I think what really should be thought about about this mono-red deck especially is just like card quality over the years. If you look at a lot of these cards, there's a lot of, card advantage or virtual card advantage that all these cards are giving you and so that's how it's able to kind of keep up with what's going on in the format because other other decks other archetypes in this standard uh, are able to do the same so red needs to be able to keep up but at the same time be aggressive and do damage and so i think it's just a really solid built deck i think you know one thing that mono red decks in the past had going for them is that they were very aggressive very hyper efficient with the damage they were dealing but they would run out of gas and your opponent would just you know basically if they had can survive like the first turns like one through four one through five the onslaught of red would be done and then you just get cooked so i think now that mono red has like some of that early aggression plus some uh ways to draw more cards or have virtual card advantage i think you know this is why it's so high up in the list in number five. That's kind of my thoughts about it.
0: Go ahead, go ahead, um, Airball. Yeah, I think I
2: agree pretty heavily with what Michael's saying. Like, you look at this deck, and it does... It's called Mono Red Aggro, and it is trying to get you dead. But looking at the choices of cards, it's not trying to get you dead super quickly, right? Like, 2 at Sushi, the Blazing Sky, is, like, that's a card that's quite slow by Mono Red standards. It's not trying to get you dead on turn three or four. Bloodthirsty Adversary is just a... Grizzly Bear with haste until turn five. Four copies of Jaya, Fiery Negotiator—a pretty good testament to uh, how bad Standard is currently at removing Planeswalkers. <laughs> yeah. And you have Reckless Impulse for card advantage. Felden has been surprisingly good card advantage when things like Voltage Surge are around. Uh, it attacks into creatures very well, which is how grixis and those other decks control the board. Uh, it's hard to not get a two for one out of your Felden, or at least get some card advantage out of it. The I I, I find like. This is a deck that's willing to go to the long game because so many decks are running pain lands, and you just know that your opponent is going to help you by turn five or six of the game, hurting themselves for three, four, five points of damage, and your prowess creatures from Jaya and Monastery Swiftspear are going to be able to use your card advantage to carry the day.
0: I do have one thing to ask you about uh, Airball or Michael, whichever one wants to talk. There are no copies of Mechanized Warfare. That's a card you've seen in mono-red all over the place in Best of One. Uh, Best of Three decides to take the Mechanized Warfares out, become less of a burn deck and more of a card advantage deck. Uh, Does that just echo what you were saying, or is there something deeper with no Mechanized Warfare?
2: I think Mechanized Warfare doesn't really fit. Um, Because it's not a card that really affects the board the turn you play it. And in a grindy mid-range game, every card you draw has to do something. Um, I would- there's not many situations I'd rather- I I wouldn't rather just draw, like, a lightning strike off the top in a board stall than the Mechanized Warfare.
1: Yep, agreed. It just doesn't do anything the turn. It comes down, and it doesn't really work. It has no deck synergies with whatever else is going on in the deck, like, inherently. Um, yeah, it can kind of, like, give you- it just doesn't line up. Like, your turn three, play- like, think about it, like, on the perfect- what do you call this the perfect curve like you play it on three then what like doesn't really matter you ter- play it turn five still doesn't really matter compared to what you're trying to do you're just trying to like make sure you're either drawing cards or hurting your opponent and uh, that's how this mono red deck list is built um and that's not it's not inherently hurting your opponent when you play mechanized warfare so i agree with airball
0: Right, and you're not playing cards like Phoenix Chick to make sure you can always get damage in with the Phoenix Chick, uh, with the Mechanized Warfare in play, uh, and it's it's more, this is more of a mono-red mid-range deck, right? It, it's, it's a deck, it's like aggressively slanted mid-range, and I, I like the fact that it does this, and I might actually try this this deck my, for myself. Uh, I play a deck in Modern that's is it Prowess, and it, of course it has a couple of cards in here. Um, Monastery beer, the main one, but I'm playing four copies of Light Up The Stage and four copies of Expressive Iteration, and that's those eight cards. I'm also playing a copy of Underworld Breach or two. So that's like that's like nine or ten cards that are not exactly kill you now type of cards, but it is more explosive. And you can see how explosive this red deck is. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you in chunks. It's going to kill you over time, especially with cards like. Chandra Dress to kill in the sideboard, but it also has the capability of killing you in chunks with a big 4-4 flyer in a Sushi Blazing Sky. Bloodthirsty adversary can come in with a, as a 3-3 haste that lightning strikes you in the face. So you, you can just take big chunks of 5-6-7 five, five, damage in a single turn, but there's a ton of card advantage in this deck as well. Four copies of Reckless Impulse. Exile on the top two, you can play them. Uh, Jaya Fire Negotiator exiles the top two, you get to play one of them and also makes additional prowess creatures. Sushi gets to look at the top two or three cards after it dies it gets to look at the top two cards until your next turn. You may play the card. So there's a lot of cards that you keep turning the card advantage and playing cards out of exile. So I do really like this style of mono red, and I'm looking forward to playing it. Um, looking at the sideboard, you see four copies of Rending Flame here in the seventy-five. So soup. Uh, this deck is is specifically targeting Shieldred. Um, there's is there any other cards that Rending Flame? Would target not really right? It's just just shieldred hate.
1: Yeah, but there's other things in the format that are getting pretty big. Like white can make their things pretty big, and then you also want to if someone's playing Esper, um, you can kill some of the more problematic creatures because some of them kind of get a little worrisome. Yeah, Rafine could be pretty big. Mm Hmm. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Rafine could get pretty big in that deck. Also, the Esper also plays shieldred. Um. It also notably kills Flesh Gorger if it's a 7-5, which is super relevant as well, because Flesh Gorger is going to give this deck a hard time.
2: Alright. One more thing that yes. I want to point out before we move on to the next one, though, is just how you can see how this deck is warped around Grixis and the removal spells that Grixis has in the format. And one thing I want to point out is how important Kamado Faces Kakazan is in that oh. Melange. because mm. Melange, oh! Of War yeah, oh yeah, not Melange, whipping
0: out the when, big words.
2: Yeah. Uh, don't ask me to define it. Um, When Felt and or Bloodthirsty adversary come down on two after you play Kamado on one, they come mm. down very importantly as three threes instead of two twos, yeah. and they dodge cut down. Um, I've been in the position where cut down has been rotting in my hand against this deck uh, an embarrassing amount.
1: Kumano on turn one just every time every time I feel just on top of the world when you see it in your opening hand you're just like yeah how do I how do I lose almost it's
0: so good yeah the cool thing is you're playing so much so much card advantage but you still get those those type of draws where your opponent can never win like turn one Kumano faces Kakazan into turn two plus one plus one counter on your monastery Swiss Spear, and then cast another Kumano faces Kakazan you always win the game can never lose like unless your opponent has a you know brotherhood's end on curve or something but uh, even then you can dodge Brotherhood Zen with a couple couple instant speed spells in a row and protect your Swiss Spear that way. So, a lot of things you can do in this deck, a lot of ways to play. Uh, I think I think this version of mono red is is very skillful. If like I think mono red's a very skillful deck, but this one is really skillful as well looking at it. And uh two, a couple copies of a braid in the main deck and one more copy of a braid in the sideboard. Um you know Frexian flesh gorger is a card so so are, are the are the other cards like the 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 artifact angel card that the three three that can give things lifelink which could be a problem but um other other than that the sideboard just consists of other other copies of removal spells that could be in in other um you know that you can use in other capacities um we have two copies of fable fable mirror breaker also in the sideboard not in the main deck as you can see this deck is more towards an aggressive to mid-range deck but wants to <laughs> sideboard the fables um do you, do you have one last thing before we go to the next deck? Do, you, do either of you have anything to say about, like, the two Fables? Is, is it maybe it's just, like, you want to take out a couple cards, and a couple extra cards in the main deck in some matchups, and you just have to have, like, the best red card to replace it that's not necessarily good in the matchup, but you want it to, like, be good in every matchup, and Fable's just that card? I think you're exactly right.
2: I think that there's a lot of cards that are basically dead against, like, the control matchup, and Fable's a hedge against that. I concur.
0: For sure. All right, let's go over to number four, getting closer to number one here. This is Mono White Midrange, so going from one monocolor deck to another, let's go over the cards in this deck. One Aeo the Dawn Sky, three Lauren of the Third Path, which we've seen all over the place in the top ten, three Steel Seraph, three Spirited Companion, three Ambitious Farmhand, three Sarah Paragon, two Sanctuary Warden, four Wandering Emperor, four Laydown Arms, 4 Reckoner Bankbuster, 4 Wedding Announcement, 2 Destroy Evil We have the lands as 1 Igonjo, 19 Plains, and 4 copies of Roadside Reliquary, which I love in this deck, and we'll go over that a little bit uh, in, in a second. Our sideboard consists of 1 Destroy Evil, 2 Farewell, 1 more Lorn of the Third Path, the full 4 and the 75, 2 Temporary Lockdown, 1 Banishing Slash, 2 Fateful Absence, 1, one more Sarah Paragon to complete the playset, 2 Depopulate, 1 Elspeth Resplendent, and 2 copies of Unlicensed Hearse. The main thing I have to say about this deck is this is designed to chomp, chomp, chomp at the mono black mid range decks. Four copies of Reckoner Bankbuster, three copies of Lorna, the third path main deck to eat up those Fable of the Mirror Breakers and Wedding Announcements that Esper could be playing, or uh, Rakdos could be playing, or Grixis could be playing. Uh, this deck, I, I, four copies of Wedding Announcement too. Uh, wedding Announcement is the best card to have probably against a bunch of just one for one removal spells because. I mean, Wedding Upset doesn't really care about one-for-one removal. Ao the Dawn Sky doesn't really die. It doesn't, doesn't really care about removal either, because you're, you're going to use your go-for-the-throat on an Ao of the Dawn Sky, and then it's going to get more value. There's four copies of Wandering Emperor, so we have those Planeswalkers in the mix as well that don't get exiled by Farewell that are pretty hard to answer right now that we already went over in the past deck. So I'll start with you, Airball, on this one. What do you like about Mono-White Midrange, and why do you think it's number four?
2: Yeah, we we talked a lot about this deck last week. I know this is number four on the list, but this is basically the Boros list that we talked about last week, except without copies of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yep. And in exchange for the Fables of the Mirror Breaker, you get some copies of Ambitious Farmhand, and um, you get an extra Reckoner Bankbuster in the list, and you also get Steel Seraph. So this is the Boros agro or the Boros mid range list from last time, turned a little more aggressive. The Steel Seraph gives you a more aggressive bent. Uh, can give things flying to get over the blockers that grixis and esper rely on to keep you from attacking their life total Um, and you also have uh sarah paragon to grind out games that you otherwise shouldn't be winning because those cards keep coming back from the graveyard Um, i think there's a pattern here in mono white and mono red being the more aggressive versions of decks rising up the ranks because the mid-range decks of the format are all sort of teching against each other and they're cheating a little bit not thinking anyone's going to attack them from underneath and these decks while having the ability to grind, are able to pressure these other mid range decks in a way that they're not expecting right now.
0: That is true, and th- this deck actually better than the Boros deck because the Boros deck has to play like the red white tap land that counts as a plane, so they can utilize Lay Down Arms. This mana base is a uh, way better than the Boros mana base and can utilize Lay Down Arms almost every point in the curve. Michael, what do you think about this deck?
1: No, I think uh, I think the big thing to really highlight here is the Lay Down Arms. I think it's just such a good card for this deck um, and I've seen it played in another format so I just think Lay Down Arms really gives this a boost in power like some of the other cards it's like you know uh, the synergies or the complete big picture of the cards uh, all working in tandem together kind of create like a nice mono white deck list but I'd say like Lay Down Arms in like a vacuum uh, added to what you got going on here it just it just takes this deck to another level. I mean, destroy evil is pretty great too, but I, I think knowing that you have lay down arms is just really, can really deal with a lot of things that's happening in standard right now. So that's kind of what I see that's really great. Um, and then you just have like really good packages. Um, I think Steel Seraph is like a card that I'm always worried to see, cause it's just like, oh gosh, what? You just have so much options, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think this is a solid deck. But I think, in my mind, like Lay Down Arms, really, like, um, is the story here in a weird way. I, I could be incorrect, but I, I just feel like that card is just so powerful.
0: Yeah, this deck being able to utilize Lay Down Arms, the best, the is the best deck in the format to play Lay Down Arms in, because you have 19 planes, four roadside reliquaries, and one Igonjo. You're almost, you're using Lay Down Arms at almost every point in the curve, and every time you draw one, it's usually life to, to exile the thing that you care about. Uh, if you play the Boros list, you might have two planes, but you want to get rid of a graveyard trespasser, and you just can't because you didn't draw the third planes yet. You have like a, you have like a red, a red white, you know, dual land that doesn't count as a planes in your deck. Um, I've noticed something pretty sneaky about this deck. Every single part about this deck dodges every removal spell that black mid range deck plays outside of Infernal Grasp, and black mid range decks are playing less and less of that and they're going more towards uh go for the throat. And we'll see that in the next few decks, I believe. But just, just hear me out for now. Ao of the Dawn Sky triggers when it dies. And then the only thing it can die to is, is um, Infernal Grasp and go for the throat. Lorna the Third Path gets a trigger on ETB. So who cares if you kill that, it already did its thing. Steel Seraph um, can't get cut down. And it also can also not get go for the throated since it's an artifact. Spirited companion gets value before it dies. You don't really want to use your cut down on a spirited companion. You just you just it's actively bad to do that. It's actively bad to cut down an ambitious farmhand unless you're gonna use it, use the other ability to become a 3-3 lifelinker, which is underrated, an underrated part of this card. But it already searched for land. Why are you gonna cut down this card, right? Three copies of Sarah Paragon that gets value out of the graveyard already you're sure you can remove it in response but you've already got the value out of the graveyard you've already cast your reckoner or bankbuster or wedding announcement or ambitious farmhand or whatever out of your graveyard with this card already or even played your roadside whaler query back out of the graveyard after you drew two cards from it already this game uh sanctuary warden it has it has the uh, shield counters on it so you can't even remove that card wandering emperor makes a bunch of tokens i'm not even done like <laughs> a wedding announcement just laughs at removal spells as well and th- and that's all the creatures in this deck L- literally everything does not care about removal. Let's go ahead and go over to the sideboard and talk about that for a second. One copy, uh, the the uh, the ha- having access to Farewell in the deck has to make every card has to make um uh every deck kind of scared of this card. Two copies of Depopulate mean that you don't really care about uh, your opponent getting under you. Even with four copies of Laydown Arms, it's really hard. Four copies of Laydown Arms and four copies of Wedding Announcement and a bunch of jump Blockers means that Mono Red or Mono Black Aggro, things like that, decks that we talked about in the last episode, have a hard time getting under this deck as well. Uh, any, anything else about that, uh, airball before we move on to the next deck?
2: I think Mono Red in particular will have a difficult time getting under this because um, you have a lot of ways to play around their threats. Uh, the Wandering Emperor is just a really difficult card to play against if you're playing Mono Red. Ambitious har- Farmhand uh, with Coven turns into a lifelinking threat that Mono Red has a difficult time uh, dealing with. Lay down arms as just uh, swords to plowshares for basically anything in their deck is very hard to deal with. And see, Steel Seraph, giving things lifelink and sending them over Mono Red's creatures is very hard for them to deal with. Uh, I think that this deck, Mono White, should have a very good matchup with Mono.
0: Yeah, so I, I think this ma- this deck has a good matchup against we, I mean, we've established it has a good matchup against removal spells in the black-based mid-range decks like Esper and Grixis, and it also has a good matchup against Mono Red. So, Michael, what what do you think this deck's weaknesses are? Like, what does this deck lose to? Uh,
1: things going over the top of it. I think that's the good deal, because, like, you have a bunch of... Um, you have solid creatures, and, like, you're very creature-based. Um, but if someone can find a way to, like, kind of board wipe efficiently you and then go over the top of you it can it can can be hard for you to rebuild in an effective way Um, I also don't see that there's like many your strengths are like playing these creatures individually and it doesn't seem maybe other than Steel Seraph like your cards don't really interact with each other and maybe Sanctuary Warden no not that one yeah so I, I think you know, because you don't have the mono white thing where like creatures buff other creatures or like pump other creatures, you know, um, if you ever get kind of board wiped or they're able to deal with your your board in an efficient manner in that sense, it's hard for you to kind of come back. I, I would say it's harder for you to come back. So I think weakness is just stung over to the top of you and you're really trying to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, wedding announcement certainly helps. And then some of your other things in the sideboard. um See elspeth like also being a planeswalker so there might be some stuff that you can do but i think you're just worried about someone going over the top of you
0: yeah actually i think that's a, that's a good point i think elspeth resplendent is a sideboard card that's brought in just in case your opponent's like slamming farewells on you and it's Farewell's not going to get rid of the elspeth um there's four copies of wandering emperor that does play around farewell a little bit but i can definitely see a hard control deck just casting a couple farewells uh back to back or in in uh, cast farewell. Wait a few turns. Cast farewell again. And and if you can get to if you get too greedy with this deck and playing a bunch of reckoner or bank Busters or wedding announcements at a time, um, you can definitely get blown out uh, by farewell. It's going to be a good good um, card against this card. Taking away their graveyard with farewell is important because there's three copies of Sarah Paragon, so um, that takes away that side of the card advantage as well. So if when you're playing this deck, you want to be a little you want to be hyper aware of farewell and not play too greedy if you think they might have it. And try to win the game without using a lot of your hand resources. I think is is one of the ways that um, mono white mid range can lose. Also, mono white mid range has a bunch of four drops and a bunch and like a five drop and a bunch of six drops. So, um, also efficient counterspells can be a good method against this. Not very, not a lot of ways to block flyers. Yeah, sanctuary ward and Sarah Paragon are good to do that. Lead on arms and wandering emperor can deal with, can exile the flyers as well. Um, but this deck does have a lot of low to the uh, low to the ground creatures that you can fly over the top of and counterspell the removal spells and counterspell the big flyers. So I would I would think I would I would assume that mono blue tempo could have a good matchup against this mono white, mono white midrange deck. All right, let's move to the next deck, number three on our list, Esper midrange. This has four Rafine, three Shieldred, two Tenacious Underdog, four Denic Pious Apprentice, three Ao the Dawn Sky, three Wandering Emperor, four Wedding Announcement, two Siphon Insight, one Spell Pierce, two, three Go for the Throat, two Make Disappear, and two Destroy Evil. And the mana base has a bunch of, like, so many Painlands. <laughs> we talked about before uh, one Odawara, one Tekanuma and 1 Igonjo, Seed of the Empire. Sideboard consists of 4 Cutdown, 2 Reckoner Bankbuster, 1 Siphon Insight, 1 Go for the Throat, 1 Negate, 1 Duress, 2 Farewell, 1 Rona's Vortex, and 2 copies of Disdainful Stroke. I see, oh, this is not the Esper Legends deck that you might have seen that is, didn't make the top 10 in this list, but number 3 on this list has a Spell Pierce main deck, not the full 4 copies of Make Disappear, um, it has three go for the throats, siding the fourth one, a spell pierce main deck. So does seem like this deck is very teched for the meta and has just a bunch of cards that have a lot of value. And they're, they're banking on those creatures, um, riding the game to victory, so to say, and creating a lot of value for themselves. Very, very high power creatures, just something traditional of a mid range deck, right? You are, you are, uh, playing with like the best cards basically, and, you're playing with the best creatures available, and they might not be as synergistic with each other, but there could be some synergies, and the cards are all are all are all awesome. You do have some synergies here with turn two Denic, turn three Rafine, turn four Shieldred that almost always wins you the game, um, because you're just gaining so much life off of Denic getting the plus one plus one counters, and after Shieldred comes down and Rafine hits the battlefield you get all of those draws and all of that life so it makes it almost impossible for your opponent to come back and win the game. What do you like Airball most about this Esper midrange deck and why you think it's number 3?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's very aggressive uh, as midrange decks go.
0: Like Rafine
2: is one of the few must answer this turn threats in standard or it already feels like you're you're dead. If it's if it can, if you get to untap with Rafine then it feels like you're in serious trouble. But part of the reason for that and the card that I've been super impressed with in the Esper list is Denik. Um, Denik is just a 2-3 flyer, a great beater, and it also plays very well around Grixis' main play, which is turn 2, Blood Tithe Harvester, uh, sack it on, on their turn 3, and then Corpse Appraiser, um, whatever's in your graveyard. So, for instance, um, it dodges the Blood Tithe Harvester's effect, right? Like, it's the, the 3 toughness is too big for Blood Tithe Harvester to kill. And also, Corpse Appraiser can't target anything in the graveyard with a Dennick in play. And that's to say nothing about Denik's great backside. Uh, you know, we we love great backsides on this show we talked about crackbacks already mm-hmm, yeah,
0: yeah absolutely
2: uh Denik comes into play um on its backside and all of a sudden any card that, any creature card that goes to the graveyard for any reason turns into card advantage for you so when it's not beating down the opponent when they do answer it it's still a source of card advantage from beyond the grave uh you get to play wandering emperor you get to play wedding announcement these cards all give grixis headaches uh i, I love this deck i think it's fantastic fantastic
0: Michael, you yeah. you play I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've played the tech a lot of play it yourself what do you think about this esper deck
1: i think I you know I think the esper deck kind of has like some of the best creatures um in in standard right now uh, as the package uh and then you're playing the wander which is amazing everything else in the deck however I feel is a skill is, is skill intensive meaning between the rest of the so in this aggregate list, you have, you know, the 16 creatures, the 3 Planeswalkers. And I think those are pretty solid, and, like, they kind of get... They don't get tuned as much, possibly, but I feel like what really you have to, like, have the skill testing that happens is between the enchantment, which are for wedding announcement, and your instance and your sideboard cards. And I feel like this is where the skill cap is, or skill... Um, Testing is is because depending what tournament you're bringing it if you're it to your LGS if you're bringing it wherever those are where you make the big strides in this deck uh, like big strides in this deck um, you know I think if you bring the wrong <laughs> the wrong collection of stuff what I didn't mention the core part of that deck I'm not saying that the the cards the 19 cards I mentioned are the core part but I'm saying like they feel pretty solid um, but we really get to play around with the other for 14 plus 15 29 pieces of of, other than lands you might have to switch lands but like the other 29 cards to include sideboard uh that aren't lands that's where you're going to make a lot of strides there and i feel like people who pick up the esper deck if they feel like they don't do well with it and say oh how are people doing well this is only third you know in in the tier list um i think you might be misled because your numbers are off, and it's very much a read the metagame, read your where you're taking this, and your deck can maximize how well it can perform. Um, not to say that what Airball said of turn two Denic, turn three, you know, um, turn three Rafine, turn four Shieldred, you know, that's awesome, that's amazing, it's so super powerful. But if any of those get interacted at some point in a, in a, a way that isn't beneficial for you then you're really leaning on the other side of that, that deck. So, I, I don't know, I could be incorrect here, but when I felt like I played the deck, it very much felt like the gap there was if I wasn't doing well, was like, I just don't have the right setup for these other cards. And the other core package is really nice.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, one, thing I, one thing I do need to say about this deck, yeah, yeah, Denik on turn two into Rafina's Children, you know, looks like you could, aggro could never beat you try casting a three color Rafine, three different colors with this many Painlands in your deck all right three underground river two shipwreck or not shipwreck marsh three underground river um let's see and then there's a dark car waste as well um I, I and then four copies of case of coilo so uh, do the math there what is that four five six seven nine nine pain lands if you draw like two pain lands in your opening hand and you have a great hand you keep it you're taking like so much damage i don't even know how much damage that is but say you do have the denic say you do have denic into into rafine that's like at least four damage depending on how many if you drew two pain lands and mono red we've seen can do a lot of damage and helping them beat you is part of the way that mono red uh, tries to win the game and killing a denic isn't as big of a deal since there's a bunch of lightning strikes and it braids in their deck so um it looks like you just can't lose to aggro with four copies of wedding announcement a bunch of watering emperors and Shieldreds. especially this the mono red deck could take advantage of you spending a bunch of life casting your spells one thing i do like about this deck is it can utilize plaza of heroes which is probably the best land and standard <laughs> it's it's amazing obviously oh. you can you can you can pay i mean I I guess Fortified Beachhead might be the best land in Standard. I I, I don't know. There's a bunch of really good lands in Standard. But Fortified Beachhead is basically Tundra. (laughs) I mean, that card... I mean, mean, read that card, then read it again, and then read it again. But uh, Plaza of Heroes gives it Indestructible and gives your creatures Indestructible and, and Hexproof, and that could go a long way. I have seen Esper just sit on Shieldred the whole game with a Plaza of Heroes, and just says good luck dealing with my Shieldred.
2: One more thing that I want to point out. Uh, and why I think Esper is so high up in a mid-range meta is because Esper tends to have the best sideboarding options available. Um, Usually the best answer cards live in white, blue, and black. Black gets you discard spells, it gets you kill spells, blue gets you counter spells, Uh, White gets you exile-based removal, and depending on the meta that you expect when you're playing Esper, you can side into any one of those options. If you're not playing white, if you're playing red instead to play Grixis, your options are a lot more limited because your red sideboard cards tend to be a whole lot worse than your white ones. Um, There's not a whole lot of white in this Esper sideboard list that we're looking at right now, but I think that your options are very good. If you invest a lot of time learning to play Esper, you can tech it for any meta that you expect later on.
0: Yeah, I like how this Esper Esperless and Esper colors in general just have access to the cards even if you don't play them all. Like there's four mm-hmm. copies of Cutdown in the sideboard. They could very well be in the main deck. But so mono red might take a lot of game ones because you're not actually main decking those cutdowns. It's it's deciding to be lot to be better against mid-range mirror matches with the copies of Siphon, Insight, Spell Pierce, Make Disappear and Destroy Evil uh, mm-hmm. in the main deck. But you can easily switch it around if your metagame is different or if, or if you're if you are at a different point in the ladder on arena uh, and your sideboard gets you, you basically get to play whatever you want, um, because, yeah, like you were, like you were saying, red and green don't really do anything that Esper can't like already do with those colors. Um there's and, and just the option to play farewell, the option to get to play discard if you want to play duress, the option to play Negate or other copies of Siphon Insights, um, uh, really just gives you full control over how you want to win the game. Um and also but but also has that higher skill ceiling and higher and, and a higher skill cap because of that, I think. Alright, moving on to number two, we have Grixis midrange. Okay. Yeah. I, I did. I fool you all. No, it's not Grixis. No. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the Zorius soldiers. Now this one, I, I think I, I thought at first glance would be a little bit lower on the top 10, but it makes number two on the list above Esper. And there's a lot of reasons for this. I'm going to go over all the creatures, but there's 34 of them. So I'm going to go over it really fast four copies of Recruitment Officer, four copies of Yodian Frontliner, four Resolute Reinforcements, four Valiant Veteran, one Denic Pious Apprentice, four Siege Veteran, three Harbin Vanguard Aviator, four Skystrike Officer, four Thalia Guardian of Thraben, two Zephyr Sentinel, and two Slip Out the Back. 24 lands, uh, six Plains and an Island, two copies of Mistress Foundry, four Secluded Courtyards. That is a land that this deck can play, which is an amazing, amazing land for tribal decks. We have a Deserted Beach, four Fortified Beachhead, which is first or second best land in standard, I think. Four Dark heart Waste, one Odawara, and one Iganjo. And then our sideboard is one Spell Pierce, three protected Negotiators, three Lorna the Third Path, which isn't even a soldier, and they're playing three copies of this card. Four Brutal Cathar in the sideboard, and four Extraction specialists, which still isn't a soldier, but it helps a lot against removal spell decks. And you see with the with the main deck in this in this deck you can see how much this deck respects gracious Midrange and esper mid-range and even other decks that are a little bit further down in the meta like mardu mid-range or Mardu angels because this deck has main deck slip out the back which you don't usually see in aggro decks main deck zephyr sentinel which is a two mana two one flash flyer that when it enters the battlefield returns a creature that you control to the owner's hand and if it was a soldier a one one counter on Zephyr Sentinel. So it's a two mana of three 2 flash flyer, which is amazing and dodges your opponents removal and four copies of Thalia Guardian and Thraben that taxes all of your opponents removal spells as well. So and also it, it pays a main deck Dennis Pius apprentice which we just finished talking about that is a very, very good card in the meta. So you can see how this aggro deck is adapting and it's probably the most aggro deck out of the aggro decks that we've gone over now, now that we've seen that the the, the metal red deck has become more of a mid range deck Airball, what do you think about this deck? And I mean, why why it really skips over Esper and being number two?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right. When I was looking at this list, I thought I could practically skip over it. Soria soldiers, how how much room for innovation is there really in that list? Uh, usually, these tribal decks, wizards prints a bunch of good stuff, and that good stuff, go figure, makes the list. And there's not a whole lot of room for creativity. But here, it like migrated from just playing the best soldier cards to taking on the more flash kind of uh, blue-white flash game that you were talking about. You have four copies of Resolute Reinforcements that can play on the opponent's end step to make their Corpse Appraiser more painful. Uh, Two copies of Zephyr Sentinel do exactly the same thing. The is a huge headache traditionally for control decks that are playing uh, one-for-one kill spells. Um, I've I've been very impressed with uh, the power of the Soldier's deck to just kill you out of nowhere. Harbin, uh, especially in a meta where everything plays to the board and people rely on blockers to keep their life total high. Being able to just jump over their blockers without any warning whatsoever is a huge deal. And the mana base is immaculate. Like you were talking about how fortified beachhead is basically tundra secluded courtyard is better than that. It's <laughs> yeah. mana confluence without having to pay for the life. Everything in the deck almost gets cast off of a secluded courtyard naming soldier. Um, only one more thing I want to add uh, because this got me more than once brutal cathar on its back. Not a soldier. Nope. If you're trying well. to do your, uh, your lethal math with Fortified Beachhead, or you're trying to attack with five creatures to trigger Harbin, and then it doesn't for some reason, uh, that's probably why. It's not a bug in Arena. It's your no. fault.
0: Yeah, that, that is true. You do have to keep that in mind. Uh, what, are your, what are your first thoughts on why you think this deck is number two on the list, Michael? Uh, Easy. Uh, Thalia, Guardian, Thraven. (laughs) (laughs) Messed up.
1: Like, if you're playing against any mid range or control, I mean, in some cases, some are the, you know, mono color decks. Like, you could just, like, you know, what is it called? Like, music stops. Like, I feel like that's (laughs) what happens when you play Thalia. Like, everyone's just like, oh no, like, my, you know, my curve is all messed up. If you're a standard player and you haven't played older formats and you go against a Thalia, you're like, How do I, what do I do? It's like, yeah, we've all been there. You will be, we're all there. We've done it. We've all been there. It sucks. Um, So Thalia is just like a huge, like, uh, mana curve disruptor for other decks. And so because your mana curve is undisturbed and you're playing basically through the board perfectly on curve and you're throwing everyone out of whack, like, there's so much, like, advantage there. Um and I think that's like really, you know, a big factor you have some of that flash package that, you know, we're speaking into. Um and yeah, and then you're getting plus one plus ones. It's like weirdly this feels like a better mono white deck in some regards because like you actually get to do the thing where your other creatures buff other things and you're stopping your opponent from like, you know, from like a death and taxes type of thing where you're taxing some of their stuff of what they're doing. So, you know, I think yeah deck is solid um i you know when i see like tribal decks i just think memes all the time like people are like look it's my favorite it's soldiers it's goblins it's elves and i like i just like and i just like don't want to deal with it but this is (laughs) looking at this deck list like no y'all y'all rejoice soldier people y'all have do backflips you know y'all you know step and march in formation you know play your deck have a good time you know it's it's the best time to be a tribal person if this is what you're going for so like hats off to y'all H- have a blast i see i see what you're seeing i agree with you um yeah that's that's all i mean that's what i want to say this is just kind of a very well done sweet deck extraction specialist Sheesh! that card <laughs> is
0: so good yeah i do speaking did you of... guys play good
1: did you guys play any of the
2: decathlon event on arena
0: i didn't Mm-mm.
2: There's there was one decathlon event where it's basically standard except you get to start with a treasure on turn one. They're, like it's a little different than that, but you basically get to start with a treasure on turn one and nothing else matters. Um, I played turn one Thalia in this deck, disgusting, and got turn turn one scoops
1: a lot, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> because how do you deal with
0: that? They're, they're like, I don't want to deal. I don't want to mess with that. Like turn one Thalia. Like, geez. What is this legacy yeah. like what is this legacy <laughs> what <are you> just... <laughs> like okay all right dude you want you want to be the harbinger of no fun for your opponents go ahead but it's yeah. it's so good. No, <laughs> in
1: that event, it's so good. Whether you're on the draw and play, like it's even. It seems worse if you're on the draw. Like you're on the draw, they use their mana stuff already, and then you just slam your Thalia, and then they're just like, "I get to work with one or two man, no shot. I just lo- I just auto lose."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. One one thing that we did not mention about this deck, so we've mentioned a lot about its flash capabilities and its good against black black based mid range decks. A little bit better than it was before. We haven't talked about how much card advantage this deck actually has. I want to, like, I-, I can't tell you how many times I've lost a Strike officer. This card, for some reason, doesn't take mana to draw off this card, and... Also, can tap itself for some reason, and you can also like tap them at instant speed for some reason. Like, there's a lot of cards in this deck that should like that is just like way too good. Like, it's a flyer for some reason. And it also makes more creatures. What does this card not do? Like, the only thing this card doesn't do is make your opponent scoop on the spot. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't like get rid of creatures. I guess is the only thing this card doesn't do. But it make it makes additional creatures for Harbin to attack to to get the five creatures you need for this. So, and this card also draws a billion cards. Tapping three. The soldiers that you control is super trivial you can draw one two three cards to turn off this card if your opponent doesn't get rid of this with cut down or go for a throat immediately you're going to drown them with card advantage speaking of card advantage siege veteran not only is it a uh, plus one plus one counter on every single one of your turns uh com- beginning the combat on your, on your turn whenever another non-token soldier you control dies you make another one one so good luck killing anything else when siege veterans on the battlefield you get more things to replace itself oh wait resolute reinforcements also comes with additional one one. Oh, wait hold on denik also comes with denik pious apparition to come out of the graveyard oh wait hold on yodian frontliner also comes out of the graveyard back again with unearth for one white mana to attack with haste which can also be the fifth soldier you need for Harbin vanguard aviator but wait there's more i'm still going recruitment officer is a one mana two one which is already really good staple on a really good effect pay four mana and look at the top three cards and get a soldier, you know, that's more card advantage. Like every single card in this deck that's not trying to kill your opponent or stop your opponent, like from playing the game with Thalia or killing them with Harbin is card advantage. Valiant Veteran, oh wait, hold on. Not only is it a Lord gives all your soldiers plus one plus one as a two mana two two, it also can exile stuff out of the graveyard to give all your creatures, all your soldiers, plus one plus one, a plus one plus one counter. So you keep the counters. So, like, everything in this deck is card advantage. And we've seen that with the with Mono Red. That deck is aggressive, but it also has a ton of card advantage. And this deck is doing the same thing, if not better. So, we've seen a theme from the aggro decks that are doing good in standard. They can all gain a bunch of card advantage. And if your aggro deck right now isn't drawing extra cards or isn't casting cards out of exile or doing things like that that we talked about before, you're probably not going to be in a good spot if you're playing an aggro deck that doesn't do those things, right? All right. We we're, we're we haven't talked about the sideboard at all. We have a one spell pierce, three protective negotiators. Protect the negotiators is a card we haven't talked about, but it's a one and a blue. If this spell is kicked to make a one, one white soldier creature token, you can, you can kick it for one extra white mana counter a spell unless it's controller pays one for each creature you control. <laughs> I mean, this is just counter spell <laughs> for, for one and a blue. It, it says counter target spell, like not like target creature spell or like you're, you're going to go super wide with this deck, and you're good luck ever casting your Farewell before you're dead. Um, so, and if you do get up to six mana before you're dead, Protected Negotiators will counter that. Three Lorna to the Third Path for interaction, and Brutal Cathar for interaction out of the board. And Extraction Specialist, just in case you do get rid of the card advantage creature, they just bring it back again. So, uh, super impressed with how this deck looks like in Best of Three, and not surprised that it's second on the list. And uh, if you like this deck, you can, like Michael said, march to victory. Um, talking about number one, we talked about this deck a lot, and we're finally going to talk about it in depth right now. It is Grixis Midrange, the deck of the day. Four copies of Blood Tithe Harvester, three copies of Shield of the Apocalypse, one Wandering Mind. Mm, I like Wandering Mind. Four Corpse Appraiser, four Invoke Despair, three Reckoner Bankbuster, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, One cut down, three go for the throat, three make disappear, and three abrade. The lands are a bunch of lands, including a bunch of pain lands once again, but we have one Odawara, one Takanuma. Pain lands are four copies of Shivan Reef. We have four Sulphur Springs, so eight pain lands, unlike the nine or 10 we've seen in previous decks, which is a little bit better against aggro. We have four copies of Xander's Lounge and five swamps. The sideboard consists of two negates, one Reckoner Bankbuster, two Brotherhood's End, 2 Duress, 3 Cutdown, 1 sore in the mirthless, 2 Disdainful Stroke, and 2 Siphon Insight. What is your first look, Airball, and why you think this deck is number one on our list? Yeah, I mean,
2: there's a reason that literally everything we've said about every other deck has been, oh, here's how it's dealing with the Grixis problem. Because <laughs> yeah. Grixis is a problem. You look at this deck list, and almost every single card is, ha- has extraordinary quality to it. Uh, Tide harvester is probably the best 2-drop in the format. Corpse Appraiser is among the best 3-drops in the format, especially in a mid-range uh, fest where there's creatures on the battlefield and in the graveyard uh, that can be turned into card advantage at any time. Four copies of Invoke Despair. If, the, if you ever catch your opponent tapped out, this card can just swing the game on its own. Reckoner Bankbuster. Great top deck at any time. Fable of the Mirror Breaker. You love to see it, no, no matter when you draw it. The removal? Fantastic. Uh, the mana base hurts. Uh, that's the big problem with it. Um, you might choose between this deck and Rakdos depending on how aggressive the rest of the meta is. But overall, I mean, this deck is great because its cards are great. I don't think you need to look much deeper than that.
0: Yeah, Michael, what, what, decks rate because cards are great. Let's 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 hear let's hear another another angle another angle. Uh. Yep. That's
1: the angle. The angle is. Yeah, that was you know, the joke. Good on, rate, <laughs> good on, good on rate cards. Uh, you know. Um one thing i didn't want to speak into is the wandering mind that card so like i when it first released i was like this card why would you ever print this and this was but this was during the time where, like right we were still doing like extra turn shenanigans and busted yes. is it things but now we have it within this grixis package and like a one of is perfect or a two of is perfect it's just like I need to find the card and I need to find it now. Although like you're probably already finding cards because you have all these other ways to get cards, but it's just kind of like it's your either get out of jail free card or it's I am locking this game down. Good luck opponent. I'm looking, you know, you know, I'm looking really far deep into my deck and I've already drawn a couple of cards perhaps, or something or the other. And you're getting to look at six Right six cards it's obviously it's non creature non land, but like okay, like you you have so many cards, let me look like if it's non creature non lands you have four sorceries, two artifacts, four enchantments, and ten ten instants, so if you didn't you know if you didn't try any of those, that's probably not likely, but you know you have twenty one cards to look at like. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna hit. You're gonna hit something probably relevant. Um. So that's you know we we you know we can talk about Grixis. Everyone, if you listen to this podcast, you know what's going on with Grixis. If you play Standard, you know what's going on with Grixis. But I think Wandering Mind is just something that is finally getting its you know spotlight, and that's terrifying. A deck that can play Wandering Mind, terrified, just terrified. I don't want to be playing that deck. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's. I sick. mean, it's
2: kind of playing five of them. Right, like uh, to me, wandering mind is the fifth copy of corpse Appraiser. They just couldn't actually put a fifth copy without getting deck checked and losing.
1: And yeah, you have fable the mirror breaker. That if you, oh god, oh god, Disgust. Yeah, if if someone fabled the mirror breakers on wandering mind, just just go up, hit that little gear button, hit concede. Just just hit the just just hit the concede. Just straight up, because by at that point you're at like, you know, they drew so many cards, they probably draw at least twenty cards. So anything they see in the top six is just fire. It's gas, and if they're copying it with with a freaking fa- you lost, you lost, you lost. <laughs> you just you just lost. Okay, just just hit that concede. Just just move on with your life.
0: Yeah, there, there's so many cards in this deck that if you just like leave them there and don't interact with like almost everything here, you instantly lose the game but they also already got value out of the cards. Like, they Blood Tithe Harvester, if you don't remove it, like, you're probably going to get it paired with the Fable of the Mirror Breaker and then lose the game. But even if you do remove it, because you have to, they have a Blood Token lying around to churn through the more cards in their deck. There's a lot of times you're playing against this Grixis Midrange deck, and they have, like, 25 cards in your deck, and you have, like... And you and you have like forty-seven cards in your deck. You're like, they're like, how did you? How did they look at so many cards? I've drawn like four cards <laughs> this game, <laughs> this deck with Corpse Appraiser looking at the top three, Wandering Mind looking at the top six, Blood Tithe Harvester churning through the deck with blood tokens, Reckoner Bank Buster drawing like three cards per bank Buster. There's three of those. You got four Fable the Mirror Breakers that churns through the deck. This deck, the ne- one thing that this deck does is it never floods out, and it never mana screws. it it, it, it does. It is just like the most consistent thing to be doing. Because even if you're mana screwed on two lands, right? You're like, okay, I didn't draw a land for turn again. Pretty unlucky. Okay, let's try to draw a land with our Blood Tithe Harvester blood token. And then you're going to hit the land, right? Or, or you're very, you're highly likely to. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of flooding out. All right, let's draw a card off Bankbuster. All right, let's draw a card off our next Bankbuster. Okay, let's discard the two lands in my hand with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, right? Like, th- th- this is the most consistent thing to be doing. Also, Invoke Despair also draws more copies of Invoke Despair every single time. Like, when, mm-hmm. when have you ever gotten vote spared and spared, you're like, that's the only one they're going to play this game. Never. When they get to five mana, well, they they actually can cast a vote spare on turn four with the Fable of the Mirror Breaker token. But if they cast this card on turn five and they get at least two draws out of it, you know it's happening again. And there's so many situations in this deck that if you don't immediately counter the spell or immediately remove the thing, you're going to lose. So it, it puts maximum pressure on your opponent at almost every spot in the curve. And I think that's the main reason why this deck is number one um the sideboard to we'll talk about a little bit there's a sword in the mirthless in there maybe it's every time i see a planeswalker in the sideboard standard i'm like they probably are playing around farewell right because farewell that's one thing they can't get rid of is planeswalkers so if you really don't want to get farewelled you just stick a planeswalker in your sideboard we've seen that in the mono white deck with playing a copy one copy of Elspeth Resplendent, um two copies of disdainful stroke two copies of the negate so um this deck is well equipped at dealing with your opponent's attempts of going over the top because how do you go over the top of it? Mid- how do you beat mid range decks right in mid range metas? You go over the top of them, but then then the mid range decks start playing blue so they can counter the the attempts of going over the top. One of the ways you can go over the top of this deck is to use uh, like a reanimator strategy on those big artifacts and enchantments like um, um one with the multiverse and portals of Phyrexia. That's a way that you can beat Grixis. But it's as you can see here, Grixis is well equipped. To deal with that but you can catch them in a in a situation where they don't have a counter spell and beat them with those kind of decks so if you are looking to beat grixis i would probably go with one of those or go with mono red maybe i don't know if you're trying to beat grixis right now let's let's start let's start talking about how to beat this deck um how are you what's the strategy airball and how you're beating grixis right now in standard
2: yeah it's like it's like what you said you're trying to go big and you're trying to make their single target removal bad um there's a reason that we're seeing four copies of Wedding Announcement in so many decks. Uh, Wedding Announcement gets a big board for one resolved spell, and it's kind of a nightmare for Grixis to deal with on a card for card basis. Uh, one deck that I've seen that didn't make the top 10, but that does make this deck very unhappy is the Green White Enchantments deck, because Grixis traditionally does not deal with enchantments all that well, period. Uh, really only uh, Invoke Despair in the deck answers it, and if you have multiple in play, then you get to choose which one you're sacrificing anyway. So that. Uh, that deck has the problem of not lining up super well against the rest of the meta, unfortunately. Um, I am just looking forward to a standard. I'm having fun in standard, don't get me wrong, but I'm looking forward to a standard where you don't need to run three copies of Make Disappear, at least, every every time you sleep up if you want to win a tournament. I hate that there are so many threats right now that if they're not answered on the stack and you let the opponent untap after it has resolved, the game effectively spirals out of control because there's no good catch-up mechanism in Standard right now. Uh, I think that that's probably not a problem that they can realistically solve um, uh, until rotation happens, so I think we're stuck with this for a while.
0: Yeah, how are you beating Grixis, Michael?
1: Well, I'm never gonna... I just play Grixis, that's what I do. I <laughs> uh, can't beat him, I join don't... him. Yeah, uh, otherwise I would be playing Azorius. <laughs> uh But... <laughs> <laughs> And it's hey. not even control. Like, I, you know, I would rather just, if I'm going to play Azorius, just go full on control. Like, I might as well just do the thing. But I don't like, I don't like white decks with like your frivolous creatures. I hate Celestia. I hate Azorius that's like for like creature based. It's just not my gig. But if I was going to do it, if someone was like, you cannot play Grixis and you must beat Grixis, I would play the soldier deck. It looks good. It looks, the Thalia, I'm interested in Thalia. If I want that, I want Thalia in my open in hand. That's what I want. I want that. That's what I want. And then, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Because uh, that might make your Grixis opponent stumble enough if, you know, they don't blood tithe harvester your Thalia, but that's you know, you can hope. Um, that's that's how I'd beat it, is play the soldier's deck. So
0: Yeah, I mean I mean yeah. how, how I'm beating this deck actually is playing this um playing this mono white mid-range deck that came in at number four on the list. Uh, because all the removal spells do absolutely nothing, as I said said before about the mono white mid range deck. That's true too. And yeah, you can counter some stuff, but this deck is this deck is, can can be aggressive if you don't remove stuff fast enough, and you probably don't want to remove an ambitious farmhand or companion. And also, this deck can kind of go over the top with sanctuary wardens and and wandering emperors, and always has has removal for the Bloodtithe harvester and fable the mirror breaker with four lay down arms in the deck, and also plays four four wedding announcements, so it's pretty prepared against uh, vote despair. So everything that the Graces deck is doing, I think mono white mid range is a way to go if you're trying to target it. Listen,
1: I've made a lot of concessions to get better at Magic and like not think about the color pile, pl- color wheel, and remove color identity from Magic. But mono, I just can't. Like mono white, it just it's, <laughs> it it go it subverts everything I know and love. If I if <laughs> I I'm screaming for help. If you ever see me play mono white, ask me if I'm okay. All right, <laughs> just you know i'll play i'll splash for the green i'll splash for the blue or the black like i'll do something but that's why i didn't i wasn't talking about mono white because something has gone seriously wrong <laughs> the, the meta's broken mono white would need to be banned if i'm playing mono white you know that deck needs to be banned straight up just straight up <laughs> that's what's going
0: <laughs> yeah I, I can just imagine hearing you on, on an episode like guys i have a confession I played mono white today, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you start sweating. What mm-hmm. happened to Michael? Jeez! You hear me
1: go? Uh, turn one, I play planes, <laughs> and just start crying.
0: <laughs> but then, but then you play Thalia, and you feel better.
1: <sighs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well. I hope I hope you liked this ag- these aggregate deck lists. I had a fun time talking about them, and also a lot of things to learn about the top ten in standard. And thank you so much to everybody for listening to this episode, especially to those of you that made it this far. Make sure to give us a follow to see our next episodes. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts Pod, and we will see you in the top eight. Peace. See you guys.